love in this church looks like every face that I see. Love at East Point is being accepted no matter what. When I first started at East Point, I remember hearing the song, How He Loves Us So, and thinking, really? Like there has to be some kind of condition to that. First church that we've been to that felt um, okay to be here, no matter who you are, what you do. The second time that I connected with Sarah Reinhardt, she gave me a big hug and said, I love you. I said, already? Um, I've actually seen people who care about you and actually mean it when they just say that, you know, and they want you to be a part of, uh, of something. I was definitely surprised by the love and I would say slash grace of East Point. The weekend after uh, my wife and I got married, I had to tell Kurt my wife was pregnant, uh, like two months pregnant. It's really nice to be at a church that you actually feel like you can make friends and not you're always waiting for someone to hurt you. It was just love and grace. Last September our family went through a tragedy and instantly the middle of the night I knew people at East Point I could call. Having a staff come alongside you during the hard moments in life is what kept me at East Point. When I've opened up to certain people here at East Point all I felt is love. They have welcomed me and forgiven me and told me that it doesn't matter. It's my past, it's not who I am. Most of my life I kept people at arm's length because um, I just didn't trust anybody. I don't feel that way anymore. I know people really love me here. It has helped me, I hope, um, be able to love others better. There's something I've been shown here is a lot of patience. I'm kind of waiting for me to come around, I feel like. And uh, kind of uh, loving on me when I wasn't lovable, so. The fact that they would just accept my daughter into their family and love on her has been huge. No, they let me be myself and change in the process, but it has made me want to keep coming back every week and make it my own. When they invest into you in a way that other people outside the church don't, that's how you know that you're in the right spot. My name is Janet McDonald. I'm Christopher Michael Edwards. My name is Teresa. My name is Charlene. Jackie. Shelly Zant. I'm Nate. My name is Lance and I'm Nate. I love that video and I love those people. and. Uh, Honestly, I love our church. Our motto around here is loving God, loving people. And it's simple, but it's powerful. And it's what we're all about, loving God and loving people. And that's not always done perfectly, not by us and certainly not by me. But it's always pursued nonetheless. It's why we're here. It's what we're all about. And we live and die by what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13. Many of you have heard that passage probably at weddings. Maybe you recognize, maybe you don't. But Paul there makes it clear that without love, we're nothing, and that love is everything. Love is everything about everything. And that is very true for us here. In fact, one of the most consistent and deepest themes throughout the Word of God is the issue of love, the topic of love. It doesn't get any deeper than that. God loves us. He wants us to love Him, and He calls us. He challenges us to love one another. Let me say it again. God loves you. He wants us to love Him and he wants you to love the people around you. 
And that's the call. That's the challenge of scriptures. A couple years ago, got an email from a guy who had been in our church for about a year or so. And he'd left. Uh, he sent me an email. And in his email, he said, I left East Point because I'm looking for something deeper and someone to teach deeper truth. I was a little frustrated, but I was kind of my reply when I emailed him back and I said, if you're looking for something deeper than love, you're looking for the wrong thing. It doesn't get any deeper than that. Here's the reality, and I'm not kidding when I say this. I could spend the rest of my life every week preaching on the topic of love. God's love for us, the love we're supposed to have for him, and the love he wants us to have for one another. And it doesn't get any deeper than that. And consistent throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament, that is what we're to do. And I could literally spend the next 20 years of my life teaching on this one topic on the issue of love. And so with that in mind, let's go deep today. And let's talk about what I consider to be our greatest mission, our core value around here. It's part one of a new series we're starting today called I Am East Point. And each week we're going to take a look at some of our core values and how that drives us into our mission when it comes to the issue of love, without question, the Bible instructs us to love God first and foremost and above all. And as a pastor, you need to know that my number one goal for you, and I mince no words about it, I make no apologies for it, my number one goal for you is that you would fall madly in love with the Father and that you would then love others around you. That you would fall madly in love with God, that you would stay madly in love with Him, and that that love would pour out of you in love towards others. Why? Because when we love God with all our heart, when we love him with everything that we are, it radically changes every part of our life. I want you to grow in your knowledge. I want you to grow in your understanding of scriptures and theology and spiritual disciplines. I want you to understand more of the Bible and what it means to walk this Christian life and to live it here on planet Earth. I want you to know all those things. But I know that the most important thing is if you'll fall madly in love with Jesus, all those other things will come into place. And I won't be pushing you into it. I'll be trying to catch up with you. When you madly love God, when you are madly in love with him, you'll be asking me, how can I do more? How can I grow more? What can I do to serve and to demonstrate the love that I have for Jesus more? You see, I believe that we were made to love our creator, to be in a love relationship with God. I believe it's in our DNA to respond to him. To love him. Now, if you're not a Christ follower and you're here, I want you to know I'm really glad you're here, that you're investigating Christianity. And I want to promise you this is a safe place to discover grace, and nobody's going to ever push you or force you to do anything. We want to encourage you and we'll challenge you. But that statement I just made that we are created to love God might bother you a little bit. Because you're thinking, man, I don't even know if I believe in a God. And you're telling me that there's some DNA thing. And you know, show me the science of that. Well, I can't really show you the science. But I can tell you this, I believe with all my heart there's a hole in your soul, a hole in our soul that can only be filled by God. Do you know that from the beginning, uh, every culture creates a God, maybe it's a little stone God, maybe it's they worship the universe, maybe it's they worship a tree or a rock or a fish. Why would we do that? Why is that in our nature to do that? I'm telling you, here's what the Bible tells you, that we were created to worship, to love someone greater and, and, and bigger and more important than us. It's in us. And the problem is we just misapply that all too often to the wrong God or to the wrong thing. That hole in your soul was put there by God because he wants to be in relationship with you. He wants you to pursue, and the promise is when you do, you'll find him. But that hole in our soul, we try to fill it with so many other things. Other stuff. Money, 
Position, power, sex, adventure, adrenaline, whatever. There's so many other things we try to fill that hole in our soul with, but it is a hole that only can be filled by a relationship with God. And I know what I'm talking about. There's a time in my life where I was far from God and I tried to fill that hole in my soul with everything I just mentioned and more. But no matter how hard I tried, the hole in my soul was still there. Why? Because we are designed to be in a love relationship with our Father. We're designed to walk with him, to know him. Now, let me insert this, and I'm going to clarify a few things as we walk through this. One of the things I need you to know is that does not mean that your life is automatically going to become perfect and everything's going to get fixed. I wish I could tell you that when you fall madly in love with Jesus, that every problem you ever have will be resolved instantly and forever. Truth is, on this planet, walking in these earth suits, where we're at now on this season, it, it, there's going to be struggle. There's going to be hardship. In fact, your life might not get easier when you fall madly in love with God. It might become harder. So you're thinking, then why would I want to do that? Because that's, again, the answer is he fills that hole. And he gives us the strength, the support, the encouragement, the help we need to face whatever we face. Your life may not be easier or perfect, but life comes when we focus on our relationship with God. And it comes into focus more than it ever could without him. And that's why Jesus addressed this issue. He talked about it in Mark chapter 12. A man came up to Jesus, and he was a religious guy. He was a smart guy. He knew a lot of the Bible. He understood the Torah, the law. And he'd been a pretty good practicer. He'd, he'd followed it all of his life. And he looked at Jesus, and he saw him as a, a rabbi, and he said, Rabbi, teacher, tell me what's the most important thing? What's the greatest commandment of all? I know the commandments. I get this. I've read. I've studied. But what's the thing that's most important? And Jesus didn't even blink. He didn't even hesitate. He said, in verse 30, Mark 12, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Jesus said, that's number one. That's the most important thing. Of all the commandments, love God with everything that you are. Our love for God must be everything because he is everything that truly matters. That's what Jesus told that man. And I still believe that that's what he's telling you. He's telling us this is the way he wants us to live, loving him with all our hearts. But what does that lo love look like? Okay, fine, I'm supposed to love God. Great, I get it. But what does that love look like? Well, let me just unpack quickly a few things that I believe are ways that we demonstrate our love to God. One is what we just experienced this morning. We call it, you know, Christians call it worship. You call it singing songs, whatever. It's, it is music. It is a way from our hearts that we express our love for God in song and through words that sing about him and to him. It's one way that we demonstrate our love for God. And, you, and some of you think, well, I don't know if I get that. It's not that weird. If you've got a decent voice at all, I bet at some point in your life, you even, you lip synced if not, you know, saying a song to, your, to the person you love. You sing a song to your, to your girlfriend, to your husband, to your, to your kids. You sing, we sing songs because it expresses something and a, and a feeling level, a heart level of our love for another. It's not that weird, and that's what we do. When we gather as a community of faith, we gather as a church every time. We express our love to God in song, and that's one way we do it. Another way we express our love to God is by trusting in him. There is no statement of love greater than to say, I don't get my life, I don't understand everything that's happening in my life, but I, do the, I, I choose to put my hope and my confidence and my trust in you. And boy, is that a statement of love? Absolutely. God, I love you. And, and I've demonstrated it by my trust and my hope and my confidence in you. 
Another way we do it is through service and sacrifice. Through acts of kindness done, selfless acts of kindness done for others, done for people, done for the kingdom of God. Through our time, energy, and money, we demonstrate our love to God as we serve and care for others in his kingdom. Now, all of those things, I could probably give a week to every one of them at least. But I believe, and here's what I want to land on today, that our love for God is best seen in the way that we love one another. Now, yes, worship is important, serving, giving, all those things are critical. But when it comes right down to it, the love that we have for God is best and should be best demonstrated in the love we have for one another. And that's why I see love as a verb. It's not just something we believe in. It's something we do and something we practice. And that's why Jesus said this. That guy who said, what's the most important thing? Jesus said in verse 30, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love God with everything. And the guy didn't ask, well, what's the second most? But Jesus gave it to him anyhow. Verse 31, same passage, Mark 12. Jesus said, and the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God, loving people. Loving God, loving people. Jesus said the first is love him. The second is to love those around us. The fact is the Bible is extremely clear on this. If we truly love God, we will truly love others. If we truly are in relationship and love him, then we can't say, I hate somebody. We have to love them the way we have been loved. John 13, 34 to 35. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and on to us as his followers. And he said, a new command I give to you, love one another. Now, let me pause there. Jesus didn't say, hey, I've got a great idea. Here's my, my here's a hot suggestion for you. Why don't you th- give this a try? Maybe this will work for you. I don't know. Try it. No. It's an imperative. It is a command. Jesus said, a new command I give to you, love one another. Now, that in and of itself is a huge deal. Wow, okay. We're to love people. But then he qualifies it, and he goes on. He says, as I have loved you, you must love one another. As I have loved you. And what did that dial up in the mind of the disciples? Jesus served them. He blessed them. He gave to them. In fact, ultimately, he died for them. He laid his life down. Jesus said, here's my command. Here's my imperative. Here's what I expect from my Christ followers. Love one another as I have loved you. And then he said this, and this is really, really sobering for me. He said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus said, people are going to make a determination who you belong to, that you are a disciple of mine. In fact, they're going to make a decision about whether I'm for real or not, as they look at you and your life and they see the love that you have for one another. That's why this is such a big deal. John went on in the epistle of John, later on in the New Testament, 1 John 3.11, he said, this is the message you've heard from the beginning, love one another. John says, I've been saying this for, from, for, from the get-go, love one another. John 3, 1 John 3.17, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? John says, if you've got resource and you see someone who doesn't, then the, the supernatural response, the, the response of a Christ follower is you want to help them, you want to reach out, you want to share with them because of the love of God. In 1 John 4, 11, John says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Since you have been loved by God, we need to love one another. The Word of God. This isn't my idea. I didn't come up with this. The Bible equates our love for one another to our love for God. How we love the people in our world 
is directly related to the way we love God. In fact, Jesus said, the way you love the least of these, the, the, the ones, the disenfranchised, the, you're loving me. The very first church I ever pastored, long time ago, was in a place called Tahunga, California. And I share a little bit of the story of my book, Epic Grace, but it's a, it was a tough place. Tough place to, to start a church. Lots of uh, interesting folks there. I use the word interesting as it's a nice way of saying really weird. And I, uh, we, we just had, a, had a, a church of the disenfranchised, the lost, the broken. I mean, you name it, we had it in that church. And one of the guys who came, his name was Bill, um, he, he was severely communication challenged. Uh, he frustrated his wife, his kids, and everybody who knew him. I mean, his most favorite word in the English language was, uh. He just grunted. You know, he was not a good communicator. He didn't really express himself very well. But unfortunately, when he did express himself, it was often critical and very, very negative. He was critical of his wife. He's critical of his kids. And guess who he was very, extremely critical of? Me and our little church. And he was always in my face about something. I was praying one day for our church and started praying about Bill. And if this surprises you, just know that we pastors are human. And though we, you know, try to walk with Jesus, sometimes we don't do that very well either. And I'm praying for Bill, and I'm praising and praying, Lord, remember the Old Testament when you took people out? I would be okay with that, God, if you want to just kill Bill. I'm, I know it's terrible. I, I, I admit to you it was not the way I'm trying to encourage you to live. But I, I, and I did not hear this audible voice, but the moment I started complaining about Bill, God just spoke to me and says, Kurt, can you love Bill the way I do? Will you love Bill the way I do? And I, 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 I got to tell you, my immediate response to God, my reaction was, time out! Foul! God, I, you know, you want me to love Bill the way you do, but, but you know, he doesn't deserve it. And, and have you seen the things that he does? And, and Lord, Kurt, will you love Bill the way I love you? Well, wait a minute, God. I am not anywhere. I'm not as messed up as that guy. What do you mean love Bill the way you love me? What are you suggesting? And I knew exactly what he was suggesting. You know, I, I use this term sometimes, EGR, extra grace required, or VDP is another one, very draining person. Not good labels. Don't use them. They're not good labels. But, you know, I, I'm saying, God, this guy's an EGR, and he's a VDP, and it's not fair. And, I, it, and it, it was as if the heavens parted. And in that moment, the minute it came out of my mouth, I realized, you know how many times I've been an EGR and a VDP? How many times I need extra grace from God? How many times I've been very draining to my wife, to people? I'm, and, and it's like God said, Kurt, you're, the thing that you're most disgusted with, and Bill, you've done the same thing. You've been the same way. We need to understand that God says, love others the way I have loved you. And he's intentional about it. And he's actively challenging us to love people, even the unlovable, even the ones that are easy to love. He says, love them the way that I have loved you. So I want to unpack that. I want to get very practical again. You're thinking, great, I get it. We're supposed to love. But I want to take it from theory and concept down to where we live practical level. What does it mean to love others? Well, first, we're to love others even when they disappoint us, even when they let us down, even when they disappoint us, when they fail. There's not a person in this room who has not been let down by somebody. If you've lived more than about two days, you've been let down by somebody. Somebody made a promise and they broke it. 
Maybe you hired somebody and, and, and you thought they had great potential and they failed. Maybe you had reasonable expectations of a child, a parent, a spouse, a friend, and they didn't measure up. The reason, it wasn't unreasonable, it was a reasonable expectation. You're going to tell me the truth, right? And they lie to your face. And it hurts you and you're disappointed. All of us have had to deal with disappointment and failure of others. And honestly, it's hard to love people when they let us down. Now, I'm going to be clear about something, and I want to make sure this is understood. It's, I'm not suggesting that we abandon standards or boundaries. God has them for us. God loves you, period, no question about it. But God still has expectations. God still has things in the Word that he says, I want you to do this, and I don't want you to do that. There's still boundaries and expectations. There's still standards. So I'm not saying that loving somebody is just to go willy-nilly and, and let go of all standards and boundaries. Not at all. But here's what I want you to understand today. Even when we fail to meet God's standards, and how many of you have ever failed to meet God's standards? Yeah, get your hands up. But we all have. Even when we disappoint God, and we all have, God loves us nonetheless. Even when we fail him, he loves us. And that's what we mean when you hear the phrase from time to time, unconditional love. It's not performance-based. It's not based on how well you do or don't do. And for me, that's really, really, really good news. That God loves me no matter what. There are no boundaries to his love. And, and that is the way he treats us. It's unmerited and unmeasured. And we are challenged, let me say it again, to love others in the same way. So when someone lets you down, and they will, true love is unstoppable and unquenchable. It doesn't stop because someone's failed you. Peter put it this way in 1 Peter 4, 8. He said, above all, love each other deeply, for love covers a multitude of sins. Love that verse. And Peter was a man who'd failed plenty of times. And he said, above all, this is a big deal. Love each other deeply. Why? Because love covers. It covers a multitude of sins. Love covers. No one should ever fear reaching the end of our love rope if we are loving them the way God does. Even when they fail us, we love. Here's the second thing we need to do need to know about loving others. We are to love others even when they hurt us. Not only when they let us down, but when it really gets personal. See, wounds tend to be deeper than disappointments. We've all been let down. Oh, doggone it. Hey, when, I wish they wouldn't have done that. Oh, that, that's, that's kind of unfortunate. But wounds are deeper than disappointments because wounds are personal. This is more than just letting you down. This is where someone bitterly attacks you. They've made it personal by deeply offending you. They've used words and said things that just cut right to your soul. They've said evil things about you, and they've broken your heart. Maybe they attacked your character. Maybe they defamed your reputation. Maybe they've, again, just said things that really, really hurt you. Maybe they've rejected you, and the pain of that rejection, I tell you, there's nothing like the pain of rejection to just tear your soul, your heart apart. That kind of pain goes deep, and you bleed hard when that thing happens, and those words are spoken. About uh, 20 years ago, I pastored a church in Portland, Oregon, and I had, a, for a while, a, a part-time staff member I'd hired, same as Larry, and I love Larry, and I still do, and we're still friends, but it came to a point in our relationship in that church where I had to terminate Larry. I had to let him go. Now, it's really hard to fire people, even in the secular, quote-unquote, world, even in business. I mean, if you think it's fun to fire people, then you are sick. There's something wrong with you. If you get off on that, that shouldn't be. That's just wrong. 
But in the church, it's really hard to let people go because we hear things about, well, we're supposed to be loving and forgiving and, and, and there's unconditional love and, and we're supposed to be patient and long-suffering. And, and how can you fire somebody when they, you're in the church? Well, the answer is that, again, like I said earlier, there's still standards, there's still boundaries, there's still expectations God has. And here's a little insight for you. Ready for this? Some of you need to hear this. God loves us and God, is, according to Hebrew 12, 12, when he, he loves us, part of that love includes what? Discipline. Because he loves us, he corrects us, he molds us, he shapes us, he disciplines us. And it's not always fun, but that's out of his love. Well, it came to, you know, a, a place and point in this relationship with Larry that I had to let him go. To say that he was angry at me would be a gross understatement. He was really, really, really ticked off. And his wife was really, really, really mad. And they said some things that were extremely hurtful to me and about me to others. And I remember thinking, how am I supposed to, why, I mean, why, how could you love somebody like that? How do you love somebody when they've hurt and wounded you? How do you get past that kind of thing and love them as God loves them? That's a really good question to wrestle with. Because if you think that's easy, you're not listening. You, you don't understand how difficult that is. How do you get there? Here's the secret. This is worth the price of admission today. This is something I want you to take to the bank. Take this home. How do you love someone when they've wounded you and hurt you? You remember how God and others have chosen to love you even when you've wounded and offended them. How in blazes do you love people when they've just crushed you with a sledgehammer? You remember that you've done the same thing. You've wounded others. You've hurt others. I, when I recall all the really horrible things that I've said in anger to some people, to my dear wife at times, when I re remember, recall all the times that I've cut people to shred with my tongue, when I remember that, I gain a perspective of grace. I come down from my self-righteous high horse, and I love them because I've been loved. How do you love somebody when they've hurt you, and it's, you're bleeding out on the side of the road somewhere? and you're devastated. You stop in that moment, and you pause, and you remember all the times that you've been that way to others or to God, and yet you've been loved. You gain that perspective of grace when you remember that you've been loved no matter what by others. Some of the worst things I've ever done in my life, I did to my dear wife, Laura. Hurt her deeply. And her response to me was a response of love. And that's what won me over. That's what changed my heart and my life. When I remember the love that she's shown to me and all the things I've said to her, then it's easy for me to love her back when she occasionally, once in a you know, thousand years, says something mean to me. We remember. The people in Jesus' time would have said, if somebody hurts you, hurt them back. Somebody hates you, hate them back. Why bother? Jesus said this, though, about that issue, Matthew 5, 43 to 40. 43 to 45. He said, you've heard in the law of Moses, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And they're all nodding. Yep. That's the way it's supposed to be, right? And Jesus said, but I say to you, love your enemies. And I'm telling you, that moment, it was so quiet. Wherever he spoke that, you could have heard a mouse, mouse fart. It was terrible. I mean, it just, it's a pin drop. It was like, what did he say? Did, did he just say what I thought he said? Love your enemies? What? That's ridiculous. And then he went on. He said, in fact, pray for those who persecute you. Not only love them, but pray God's blessing on them. And he said, here's the reason why. Here's the why. 
And that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. See, we can say we love all day long. But if we're a child of God, we're to love like God loves and to love and act like our Father. And that was, to those who heard it then, and it still is a radical concept. And it takes love to a much higher level. It makes love a verb and a way of life. But can you imagine, guys, why, do I, it's, why am I so passionate about this? Because can you imagine the testimony to grace and the impact we as Christ followers can have on the world around us when we truly love just like God has loved us, even when we've been wounded and hurt? Well, here's the last thing I want to say about what it means to love others, and this one's challenging too. We're to love others even when they're very different than us. We're to love others even when they're not at all like us. And this does not come naturally for most of us. We tend to be drawn to people who are just like us. People think the way we think, believe what we believe, look the way we look. We tend to be drawn to those who dress and act just like us. And I'm here to tell you that that's not evil, but it can't stop there. We're to love everyone, all, because that's what God does. I recently read something in a new book by Derwin Gray. And it's a, it was a disturbing statistic. It bothered me a great deal. He said 93% of all churches in America are racially segregated. 93% of churches, people who claim to be Christ followers, churches in America are racially segregated. In fact, he said that churches in America are 20 times more ethnically se segregated than the schools in their community. I'm going to go on record today. That is just wrong. That is not the way it should be. That is not reflective of the heart of God. The Bible says God so loved all the white people, right? No. The Bible says God loved all the, the, the Amish people because they're so clean and pure. No. The Bible says God so loved the world. That's everybody that he gave his one and only son. The Bible says love one another, and it doesn't qualify. It doesn't say love those who are just like you. Love the people that are easy to love. No, nope. the Bible says love one another. And the Bible says in Romans 15, 7, accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. I'm really glad that Jesus has accepted me. How about you? And the Bible says, accept one another just as you have been accepted by Christ. Now, let me insert this again because I know some of you are thinking. This doesn't mean that we ignore or accept sin. But we must never ignore or reject people. Let me make it clear. Loving them Accepting them does not mean that we ignore or accept sin. But we must never ignore or reject people. What the Bible calls sin, we will call sin. But we will love people to wholeness and holiness without rejection. And that's what Jesus did. He loved the woman caught in the act of adultery. Now he told her, go your way and sin no more. But he loved her. Everybody else wanted to stone her to death. He loved the Samaritan woman who'd been divorced multiple times, was living with a guy that she wasn't married to, and she was a Samaritan, despised by any good, righteous Jew. Jesus loved that woman. He accepted and embraced her right where she was at and knew that the love of God in her life would transform and change her. Jesus loved Matthew, a despised, wretched, dirtbag, cheating, stealing, IRS guy. A tax collector in that day, he loved Matthew and said, now Matthew, come and follow me. And it was the love of God, the love that transformed and changed those people. The Bible says love because it's love that changes. It transforms people. 
whatever they are, whatever they've done, wherever they've been, regardless of what they believe. Did you know that sometimes people come here and they don't believe the exact same thing you do? Shocking. And it's okay. Because we'll figure it all out someday when we get to heaven. Anyhow, who's right and who's wrong? Well, right now, in the meantime, we're to love one another. We love as Jesus has loved us. And that means we love people who come in this place. I pray to God that you love those who are very different than you. John wrote this in Revelation 7, verse 9. He saw a vision of heaven. And I want this just to rock your world right now. He said, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. If you don't like big church, you might have a problem in heaven, by the way. But let's just keep going. Great multitude that no one could count. And listen to this, from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Are you listening? From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Black, white, old, young, rich, poor, cool, uncool, tattooed, body pierced. Those who love country western and those who love rap, really bothers me a little bit that rap people are going to get to heaven, but you know, it's going <laughs> to... We don't get to choose who we love. Are you, are you listening to me? We don't get to choose who we will love. And guys, of all the places, and this one just breaks my heart, I get, I, get, um, I get emotional about this. Of all the places on planet Earth, the church, we must be an embracing, loving, and accepting place. Because just like God, we are to love without measure, without limits, and without boundaries. Without measure, without limits, and without boundaries. We love. And what I desperately want you to understand is love is the foundation by which everything around here is built. Next few weeks, we're going to talk about some other important things to me. Other values, other mission-driven values that are important to us as a community of faith. But everything we do here is built on this foundation of love. Why? Because without love, nothing we do matters. But with it, everything matters. Are you hearing me? Without it, it nothing else we could accomplish or do is going to matter. It's just going to be dust in the wind. But if we love, if we love him and love others the way God does, then everything we do has the potential of making an eternal difference in the lives of people. Bow your heads and let me pray for you. Jesus, my, um, my fear, my concern is that some of us would listen to these words today and we'd go, yeah, blah, 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 blah. Love God, love people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go on, keep moving. And we would, we would downplay how critical it is for us to keep this in the forefront of our minds, our hearts, our lives. And God, I, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit you would burn this deep and to every soul here this morning, every soul listening to this, that they would be profoundly impacted, motivated, challenged to love as they've been loved. To love God and to love people. And that, Lord, if we're known for anything as a church in this community, that we'd be known, that's a loving place. Those people, they love, they love God and they love people. And that that would be what marks us, Lord. And that people would look at us in this community, in our families, where we work, and they would go, wow, see how they love one another. That they would look at us and say, there must be a God because there's no way they could love one another without him. 
that we would be marked by love, God, marked by the love you've shown us. And so today, Jesus, please burn these words into our soul, into our lives, because it doesn't get any deeper than this, Lord. Loving God and loving people is what we're all about. Help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to do something that we haven't done in a while on Sunday morning. Ushers, go ahead and start handing out the uh, communion ingredients. Um, just take one cup, and there are double cup. The crackers below and the juice is on top. Hold them. Take the cup and hold it. We're going to take the elements together. We'll take the ingredients together in just a moment. I'll come back after worship, and we'll partake together. But, you know, I was thinking about communion this morning and what better way for us to land on the love of God than to be reminded of the greatest love ever shown to us, the love of Jesus, where he loved us more than his own life. But I was thinking about the fact that there's several different kinds of people here this morning. There's some of you who understand what communion's about, and you're like pumped. This is great. Wow, man, thanks, Kurt. We get to do this as a community. This is awesome. You understand. You get it, and I'm glad you do. There are some of you today that you're feeling very unworthy. You're thinking, oh, Dang it, we're doing communion and that just yelled at my wife this morning. I just cursed at a driver on the way here to church. I, I, I blew it this week and you're feeling very unworthy. And you're thinking, I can't do this. I just, I'm, I'm not worthy. And you're worried. Then the Bible says something about, you know, not taking an unworthy matter. Yes, it does. And what that means is don't just blow it off. Come now in this moment and say, God, I am unworthy. I do need your grace. I have failed. Just confess it. Just own it. Don't land on unworthiness. Move into grace say, oh God, that's right, you did this for me because I am a sinner in need of your forgiveness and your grace. And just confess that to him this morning. That's coming in a worthy way even though we are unworthy. And some of you, the third group, you're feeling unsure. You're like, wow, I what's going on? Is this like a mid-morning snack or what? I don't, what, what, what grape juice and a cracker, what's up with that? You don't understand and I, I get that, but I want to tell you that what we hold are symbols that represent what Jesus did for us, what he did for you. And what you could do today is rather than stay unsure, you can begin your life right now. As you hold those elements in your hand, in your heart, in your mind, you can say, God, I, I get it. You love me. You sent Jesus to die for me. He paid the price for my sins. I, I, I haven't got, I don't, I, this moment I see it. I understand right now what you did for me. And then you can make that choice to say, God, so I'm going to give my life to you. Jesus, you gave your life for me. I'm giving my life. I'm surrendering. I'm saying yes to you. I'm embracing the free gift of salvation, grace. Today, you can, as you hold these elements, go from being unsure to sure. That you can become a, a, a child of God, a Christian today, a disciple of Jesus. And as you hold those elements, and as we sing this song, you can do some business with God. That can be for you a beginning of your walk, your relationship with Jesus today. That's my prayer for you. Let's worship. Hold the elements. I'll come back and we'll take together at the end. Well, let's worship with the song that I love. And I'll come back and wrap it up. Would you bow your heads with me just for a moment? That song just wrecks me. Because it says it so much better than I could. The scandal of grace. That he died for us. And he lives for us so that we don't have to walk in death, but we can walk in life. Jesus told the disciples, greater love is no man than this, and they laid down his life for his friends. And within hours after that, he laid his life down. And what we hold in our hand is these simple symbols, these tokens of 
grace that remind us, the cracker reminds us of his body broken for us. That grape juice reminds us of his blood shed for our sins, for your sins and for mine. Father, we come to you this morning thanking you again for sending Jesus. Jesus, you said as often as we do this, we should do it remembering you. And Lord, we remember your love for us, your kindness towards us, your mercy towards us, your goodness towards us. And we remember your death, your life given for us. Remembering his body broken for you. Now take the cracker, take the bread. Remembering his blood shed for the remission of our sins, our failures, because he loves us. Take the cup now. Jesus, I pray that the sweetness of that juice will remind us of the sweetness of your love for us. we would leave here today, Lord, more aware than when we came of the goodness and the love of God. And that most of all, Lord, not just aware of it in our heads, but that we would live it in our relationships, in our relationship with you and our relationship with people. Help us to love them, Lord, just like you do. And I pray it in the name of Jesus now. Amen. I want to give you my uh, benediction this morning, my final prayer for you. So may you go into your world this week, into your sphere of influence, to a place where you work, where you live, your neighborhoods, your families. And may you love the, the unlovely, love the unlovable, love those who wound you, fail you, hurt you. Love those who are different than you. Love them the way God does. May you go and love radically this week because you've been radically loved by him. Amen? Amen. Today, if you begin your life to Christ forward, as we took communion, you made that decision. Tell somebody. Come tell me. There's a packet by the doors. This is for new Christians. Pick one of those up. Get you started in your walk with Jesus. Prayer team would be down front. If you need prayer, come. But go. Live radically loved this week. God bless you guys. You can take the cups and just drop them in the trash on your way out, too. God bless you. Thanks for coming. See you next week.